1977, McDonald's, the restaurant we all know so well, was looking for creative ways to serve the family a meal, creative ways to perhaps get children more excited about hamburgers and French fries and the other things that McDonald's was offering. Now, you might know where this story is going. So this was happening in 1977. So by 1979, McDonald's had come up with this novel concept that included a hamburger, French fries, cookies, and a soft drink, as well as a prize for any child who came into the restaurant. They didn't have to just order a hamburger and fries. And you remember what it was called? The Happy Meal. Because they wanted all children who walked into McDonald's to be happy. And so many of you probably remember buying those for your kids or for your grandkids. You may, be, may, may remember eating those as kids. And the Happy Meal over time changed a little bit. By 1983, they had added the Chicken McNuggets as a more healthy alternative. Not really sure that was the case. And then in 2004, they made some changes to the Happy Meal. They started putting in apple slices instead of cookies. They started offering the option of milk instead of a soft drink. And then in 2005, they added the nutritional value of a Happy Meal because there's all sorts of concerns around how nutritional really is a Happy Meal. In 2010, a civil lawsuit uh, was filed against McDonald's in the state of California, which should probably not surprise you, a class action suit claiming that corporations like McDonald's should not try to lure children into restaurants to eat fast food because of the prize in the box, the prize in the Happy Meal. Now, in 2012, that class action lawsuit was tossed out, but there was something truthful about that class action lawsuit. And that was the notion of the prize. Did the kids really care about what was in the Happy Meal? Or did they really care about the prize, which was often sort of a surprise because there were different options that they had? What did they really care about? And if you think about that, you think about it as we grow older, we don't eat Happy Meals. Well, maybe you still eat a Happy Meal. We don't really eat Happy Meals anymore. We don't go looking for a prize in a Happy Meal. But many of us spend our lives looking for a different prize, looking for the prize that we think will satisfy. We buy certain things. We go certain places. We build certain things. We hope in certain things, and we hope that it will satisfy but what we often find is it does not satisfy. There is no satisfaction. We're racing, we're reaching for the wrong prize. This, the Apostle Paul addresses this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, when he writes this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on, he says, toward the goal to win the prize, the prize of Jesus Christ. He says, I give my life to pursuing that prize for not reaching for that which will not satisfy. But this has been a problem from the very beginning for people reaching for the wrong thing, for Adam and Eve thinking that if they ate, just ate from that fruit, they would be satisfied. And the nations of Israel, the nation of Judah, they had the same problem. 
reaching for the wrong thing, chasing after the wrong prize. And as we've made our way through Jeremiah, we are continually reminded of this as he preaches and teaches to the nation of Judah. So this morning, though, he looks to the future and he sees the hope that is going to come. He knows the nation will go into exile. God has made it clear that they will go into exile. We're going to talk about them being in exile for the next couple of weeks, starting next week. But Jeremiah looks to the future and says, there is one coming who will restore and redeem. And so to that effect, we're going to take a look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 8. This is what Jeremiah writes. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. So we need to understand something about Israel and Judah, about the nation of Israel as a whole. And that is that they always lived in a certain tension of the understanding of the king and what the king meant for the nation of Israel. We we read about this tension in a couple of passages out of first and second Samuel. So in second Samuel chapter seven, verse 16 is uh, we, we hear about what is spoken to David, King David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God says to David very specifically and very clearly, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So that's one side the people of Israel lived with. That's one, one thought they lived with. The other thing, though, came from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 25. These are the last words, almost the last words that Samuel speaks uh, before he goes to be with God. And Israel has decided to elect for themselves a king. And Saul, as you know, becomes that first king. But this is what Samuel says. The very end of twelve twenty-five. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. If you persist in doing evil, you and your king are going to perish. Yet David, he says, but his, this is the reality. Your kingdom will last forever. And so the people of Israel for, for hundreds of years had struggled with this, that God says the kingdom will last forever. The king will reign forever. Yet he has also said, but if you mess it up and if you blow it and if you do not worship me and if you do not serve me, 
things will not go well. And so into that gap came the prophets to remind the people that their job was to love God and love neighbor. But the people did not always listen. And in fact, this woe statement, this W-O-E statement is, is really levied against the kings when, when God looks at the nation and says, you kings have messed things up. And if you go back to, to Jeremiah chapter one, 21 and chapter 22, which I'm not going to do this morning, but you can go and take a look at this. God speaks his judgment on the kings that had come up and had reigned after Josiah, those kings who had messed things up. He goes after Shalom. He goes after Jehoiakim. He goes after Jehoiachin. He even, actually doesn't even say anything about Zedekiah because it had gotten so bad. But here's how things end in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30. This is the last verse before we move into our reading that was today about the righteous branch. Here's what God says. This is what the Lord says. Record this man, this is speaking of Jehoiakim, as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his, last time, in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. This is the end of the line. So if you're reading through Jeremiah and you get to Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, and you see this, you hear this, no one will sit on the throne of David. No one will rule anymore of Judah from his offspring. He is though he is nothing. You will have lost hope. And then Jeremiah just keeps, God keeps going and says, woe to you. But then he looks to the future. And he looks to the change that is coming. And as you may recall, back in January, we did a sermon series that we called Gospel Glimpses. And we took a look in the Old Testament for Jesus. For the many ways in which Jesus is mentioned or alluded to or spoken about, it's the idea of typology. And, and here in Jeremiah 23, we see a type. We see this righteous branch as God describes it. The days are coming, he says, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And then we look at the very end of verse 6 of our text. He is called, it says, the name by which he will be called is the Lord, our righteous Savior. God is going to do something new. God is going to bring salvation. God is going to redeem. He's going to bring back a remnant. And he says, the one who is righteous, this righteous branch will accomplish this. This righteous branch will bear the fruit that brings freedom and hope to so many others. This righteous one will sit on the throne of David. And so what we see Jeremiah pointing to and looking to, though he doesn't fully understand it, is the Messiah. The one who is going to come and bring salvation for all people. The one who is righteous and just as importantly, makes us righteous. That the fruit that this branch will bear is the fruit of justification and ultimately sanctification. The righteous one will make us righteous. He will rule with wisdom. He will do what is just and he will do what is right. He will bring the kingdom. 
And, and this is what Jesus does for us. This is what he accomplishes for us. He is not the Messiah that many had expected. He is not this warrior who tramples down everything. He is the one who comes and rules with justice and mercy. He is the one who comes and reminds us to love God and love our neighbor. He speaks as the perfect. He, remember, he fulfills all three offices of the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king. This is what he is about. This is why Jeremiah says he will sit on the throne of David. He will be the perfect king. He will lead the people. He will be the perfect priest. He will remove the sin. He will speak the prophetic word of what it is that God has yet to bring. He is prophet, priest, and king. And this righteous, this righteous branch that is coming, Jeremiah says, it'll be like nothing you have ever seen. You thought the Exodus was a big deal. You thought God liberating his own people out of slavery in Egypt for 400 years was a big deal. Do you know what this righteous one will do? He will liberate all people. He will bring freedom and hope and justice for a world that is hurting and broken. And it won't just be for the nation of Israel. It will be for all people. And so if you continue to read in Jeremiah and you get to chapter 31, you see Jeremiah begin to talk about the language of covenant. And covenant is a hugely important term uh, throughout all of Scripture, this covenant that God makes with us. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, this is what we read. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. This is the only time the new covenant is mentioned in all of the Old Testament. The day is coming, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. And after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This then, my friends, is the new covenant. This is the new work that God is doing. And Jeremiah looks to that. And he speaks about that. And this language of covenant is so vitally important for us to get. This covenant is about faithfulness and holiness. When I marry people and have that opportunity and privilege to bring together husband and wife, the idea is I ask them to covenant. Will you now covenant with one another? Will you make this promise? Will you make this pledge? Because the idea of covenant is saying, you know what? I'm going to love you even when you're unlovable. I'm going to care for you even when I may not feel like caring for you. And this is the relationship that God has always had with his people. But God has also said of his covenant, because he is holy, he said, you must also listen and obey. I love you with an everlasting love. And you need to be obedient. And so the Ten Commandments and the rules and the regulations of Israel were established to help the people be obedient, but we know they could not fulfill those. And so they failed and they walked away and they reached after the wrong prize. And eventually that led them into exile. But God says the day is coming 
when you will return. The day is coming when Messiah will come and make all things right. And that's this new covenant that happens for us. That is what makes us righteous. It's not our works. It's not our deeds. It's not our actions. And it's not our words. It is simply that Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. He is the one that was prophesied about. And he is the one that is spoken about in the birth story, in the narrative of the angel to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. You will conceive, Gabriel says to Mary, and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And listen now to what his job description is. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is bringing together Jeremiah 23. This is bringing together Jeremiah 31 and saying, the one who is righteous will come. I want to talk about righteousness just a little bit more. I want to talk about the righteousness of Jesus. Because some people will say, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. He had such great morals. He had such a great philosophy. But we have to understand that Jesus was more than simply a great teacher. Because if he was just a great teacher, the problem is we should all be frustrated by that. Because he said, this is how you're to live. And this is how you're to behave. And this is how you are to act. And the problem for you and me is this. We cannot do it. We cannot live in the way in which Jesus called us to live. And, and that should frustrate us. And that should get us to the point where we cry out to God and says, God, and when we say, God, I cannot do this. And God says, finally, you finally get it. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot make yourself righteous on your own. You need help from above. You need the Messiah. And this is the beauty of the story of Jesus. He comes looking for us. We can't do this on our own. We can't, we can aspire to it, but we cannot achieve it. And it leaves us frustrated. And so if we just cry out to Jesus as a great moral teacher and say, help us, that, that's not going to get it done. But if we cry out to him as savior, if we cry out to him as the one who is righteous, who longs to make us righteous, then everything changes. Oswald Chambers puts it like this. He says, I know that Jesus Christ did not come only to teach. He came to make me what he teaches I should be. The redemption means that Jesus Christ can place within anyone the same nature that ruled his life. Chambers says he came to make me what he teaches I should be. And that's what redemption is all about because Jesus then places his nature into our lives. Galatians says, I've been crucified. Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And what Oswald Chambers is saying is we have to see Jesus as more than a great teacher. We have to see him as the righteous one. The one who, the, who the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, places his very nature in us. He is the righteous branch. He is the prize that is worth pursuing. Tim Keller has this great illustration 
of this branch. And he says, imagine that you're out on a cliff and you begin to fall. And the only thing that is there to catch your fall is a branch sticking out. And as you are falling, you think to yourself, that branch looks very strong. And maybe I reach out and maybe I don't. But maybe you choose not to reach out, trusting your life to fate. But you may also look at that branch as you're beginning to fall and say, I have my doubts. But I'm going to trust that that branch is strong enough. And you reach out for it and you grab it. And what Keller argues is this is it's not so much whether our faith is strong or weak. What matters is the object of our faith. What matters is that branch. And here's what he says. He says, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Strong faith thinking I've got this and I, and I, that, that weak branch, it doesn't mean much to me. I don't really need that. He says that is fatally inferior to a faith that sometimes questions to a faith that is sometimes not certain, but who reaches out nonetheless for that branch that will anchor them and hold them because that branch is strong. And my friends, that branch is none other than the righteous branch of Jeremiah 23. It is the Messiah. It is Jesus who promises to strengthen us and hold us and carry us and help us to persevere and to get through whatever it is that might come our way. So my friends, let's reach for the prize of Jesus Christ, who is the righteous branch, who is the new covenant that now lives in our hearts. Pray with me, please. God, there are many times that we reach for the wrong things, for the wrong prize. We think we find the hope that we need, and then we discover that it doesn't last. But in Jesus Christ, we find true hope and true salvation. We find the one who is truly righteous. So God, give us faith, just even the little bit amount of faith to reach out for Jesus, to cling to him with whatever we have. And God, as we do that, Would you fill us and sustain us and remind us that you are always with us. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.